Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Sean Newell, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm John Westover. I'm joined by my co-host, Angela Schill. And today we're talking with Sean about how to develop a greater understanding of one another. This is partly couched within kind of broader conversations around diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, um, generally speaking, but also within the state of Utah and, and some of the current dynamics that we're facing in the state. So I think this will be a really fun conversation. As we get started, I wanted to share Sean's bio with everybody. Sean Newell is the Vice President of Business Development at Industrial Supply Company. His motto is education is a path to success. Employed by the Industrial Supply Company for more than 20 years, Newell views his connection to customers as essential to understanding their needs. He received his associate's of science degree in marketing management from Salt Lake Community College, a bachelor of science degree in sociology from the University of Utah, and a master of management degree from the University of Phoenix. He likes the intimacy of the small class sizes at Salt Lake Community College uh, and credits some of his professors there with having a huge impact on his life. Uh, I, I could go on and on, Sean, lots of really great stuff in your background, but I'm going to pause there. Anything you would like to highlight or emphasize from your background or personal context before we dive on into the broader conversation? Um, yeah, in actuality, I retired about two years ago after 37 mm -hmm. years, um, working for industrial supply and, um, decided to stay here in Utah and, um, we're doing some advocacy work and working to help our community become, um, more cohesive and have better understanding of all community members here in the state. So that's been one of my big drivers, um, since I've retired and, I spend a lot of time doing that type of work. Wonderful. Important work. And we're glad you're here doing it. Sean, I I have a I have some additional things in your bio that I think just highlight not just the places you've worked, but the service that you have done and are doing. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about those things. Oh, uh, this one of the things I'm not real good at is uh talking about <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I serve on a number of boards. I'm still involved with um, in education. I'm serving currently as a trustee for Westminster University. Um, I've served on the boards of the um, Utah Board of Higher Education, the Utah State Board of Education, mm -hmm. and continue to do some work with uh, a number of our institutions in different um areas of expertise that they've asked me to consult on. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I guess I could be a serial board member uh, <laughs> serving on a lot of number of nonprofit boards. Um, the way I stay really busy right now is doing some consulting work for um, business and industry. Uh, and then also um, making sure that I'm involved in trying to work to change um, 
divisive language and divisive environments within our communities. So that's probably a, the, one of the biggest things that I'm involved with on a daily basis. Amazing. Can you, in kind of in that same vein of what's led you to what you're doing now, do would you mind sharing some of your story with us and maybe giving us some context in terms of what got you started in what you're doing now and why why you've st- stuck around and why you're so engaged in these boards and and serving the community? Well, it goes back to when I was a, a really young child. Back in 1965, um, I grew up in Riverside, California, and the superintendent of schools back in um, 1965 decided that it was time for the Riverside school system to desegregate. And I was the part of the third class of students to desegregate a um, predominantly white area of our uh, school district. But one of the great ideas that our superintendent at that time had was to do some reverse desegregation and decided that they would build a brand new elementary school, which was two blocks from my house, and that he would um, bring in white students into the Black and Hispanic neighborhood. And it sounded great on paper, but two days after he made that announcement, that brand new school was burnt to the ground. They never discovered who who burnt the school, um, but they, needless to say, they did a pivot on that idea. And I was bust from the time I was in first grade um, all the way through high school to a predominantly white school, which was one of our most um, prominent and affluent schools in the city at the time. Yeah. And um, there were a number of things that occurred there. Uh, as a young person, you don't realize how and why these things are happening to you. Um, and as I got older, I found out that my parents were part of the problem. Uh, not really the problem, but they were probably part of the reason that this happened. Them and a n- large number of community members from my community were really fighting for our us as young people to be able to have a better education. Um, so they won that fight and were able to create this busing program. And it was literally, I think maybe it's just over a mile and a half or so to this school, but we were actually bused over a bridge called the Victoria Bridge. And there were about three bus loads of us that went every single day. So by year three, which I was at third class, a lot of the um, visible and uh, violent um, occurrences that were taking place at the schools had kind of dissipated, but there were still the underlying issues that were still there when we arrived. And going through that all the way through high school was um, pretty tough, but I was able to acclimate because I was involved in sports and sports is a great way to overcome a lot of these things. And you don't really get, um, you don't really dive into or or impact it in a way that a lot of the students that aren't involved in extracurricular activities are with um, some of the racial issues that we had going on at the time. But as I got older, I was able to see more things clearly And uh, for some reason, when I became a senior, I was a pretty good football player and I was recruited all over the country. And I had this thing in my head that I only wanted to play one position. And there was only one school that offered me that opportunity. That was the University of Utah. And I had no idea where Utah was. I (laughs) came on a recruiting trip. And of course, they show you all the bells and whistles and all the good stuff. 
Um, but I really didn't even know where it was or anything about Utah. My parents pulled me aside and said, do you know where Utah is and what Utah is? And I said, no, no, but I'm going because of this thing. And my dad said, well, I don't want to deter you from a decision, but you know, you got to think about the environment you're going into. And I said, oh, I can't be as bad as, you know, where I've been this whole time. And he goes, oh, hold on a second. You know, you may, you may want to think twice about this. And I, I said, no, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to be bold and I'm going to make this move. And when I got to Utah, um, I looked around and I thought, oh, no, here we go again. Um, but my experiences in, um, you know, growing up allowed me that um, background and understanding how to acclimate to the environment here. So I, I had an advantage over a lot, number of my teammates, um, even though, you know, we grew up in the same types of neighborhoods. I still had this other experience to be able to help me to um, navigate this the education system and navigate the social side of things. And, but I was still a little fearful. I mean, uh, going off, getting off of campus uh, because of some incidents that occurred during the, my first summer. The first summer I was here, there were two young black men assassinated um, walking across the street at Liberty Park. This was in the um i think it was in 80 it was in 80 and it's a well-known case the, the gentleman that killed him was caught and you know he was um sentenced to death but that that incident happened about five blocks where i was staying um near liberty park at the time uh, just prior to school starting and i called home and i said okay you were right i'm, I'm, I'm ready to get out of here yeah. and my parents said well you made the decision you gotta stay put um so i stuck it out and Thank goodness I did. I, I ended up meeting some really good people. Um, I had a really good support system there at the University of Utah at the time um, through some of our advisors. And one of the nice things was for me that the advisors looked like me and they understood where I was coming from. They understood the issues I had. And for me right now, I'm seeing that rug being taken out from our current students as they enter into some of our institutions. They not all of their advisors look like them. Not all the people that they're they're working with look like them. And again, I received these benefits because I was involved in extracurricular activities, you know, being sports. Um, and I think for me, one of the big drivers for me is to try to create an environment where all of our students have resources to be able to help them to navigate these spaces. Because it doesn't matter where you come from, not, not all of us are starting from the same place. And that's what equity is all about and creating environments that are equitable for all students takes work, takes investment, and it takes an understanding of where these young people are coming from. And that comes through a lot of life experiences, not just experiences in, in books and studying and going and getting a degree or master's in some of some semblance, but it comes from the experiences in life that are shared, that you can actually share with others to be able to help them to navigate. So that's been kind of really my catalyst into doing the work that I'm doing is trying to create those environments in a number of different spaces and business in um, the, the outside social climate and culture that we have here in Utah. And then also in our education system. Yeah. And how, after having done this, I mean, you have a long history of being here. 
and being engaged and involved, especially more as I don't want to say just because you've retired, you've stuck around, but I think you've been doing this for a long time, the <laughs> advocacy work. So I'm just curious uh, how you feel things are now in the current environment compared to years and years ago when you when you started out in Utah and just started out in your career in general. Um, I'm feeling like I'm on a muddy slope right now and falling back into a lot of the things here as, as a state. I'm feeling like we're falling right back into the same trends that were here in the 70s and 80s. Um, when I was growing up, that are going to create some enormous disparities for uh, specific groups of students. And when I say specific groups, I want to say that my specific group is all students. And um, seeing us go back in history, seeing us backslide as a society is really concerning because that tells me we have not learned the lessons of the past. We've seen them, we've read about them, we've experienced some things, but we have not learned. One of the toughest things for me in, in trying to navigate these spaces is looking at how just uh, two years ago, no, just barely over two years ago, we did find a way as a country to come together as a world um, through a pandemic, which very few generations get to experience. Mm. But we instantly forgot about that. We, we folded ourselves right back into the same old mode of individuality and, and forgetting about our neighbors and, and not having the concerns for others that we had back then when we knew we had to lift each other up. Understanding that that lifting never ends and that lifting has to occur um, in, our, in our current times is really important, uh, not to me, but to, to a lot of people. And we have to find a way back to that path of understanding that we're all in this together. And um, I just don't, one of the things that keeps me driving to do this work is, is I just don't see that happening. And I don't know where we've lost it. I don't know what the magic um, potion is to be able to get people to understand that we are all connected. Um, but until we get to that point, I don't think I'll ever be you know, exhausted in, in what I'm doing. I, I'm trying not to be exhausted, but there's times when you get really tired of doing the work and pushing forward. Um, but it's that hope. I call it my Pollyanna hope and world that one day we're going to understand that we are our brother and sister's keepers. You know, we have to do the things that we, that are required of us to create an environment, to create a world around each of us that is conducive to us growing and understanding that, you know, together we're so much stronger than we are apart. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's a lot of forces right now that are pushing that um, to the point of breaking to where we, we don't trust each other anymore. We don't have a, uh, a we don't have a, a care for each other that is deeply embedded in our DNA. And that's where we need to get to is to where we can shift the way that we fully care about each other and think about each other as individual humans to create a better environment in our education system, in our political system, in our everyday lives, our neighbors. I mean, it's, it's astonishing to me to see that when we are young children, we're riding our bikes up and down the streets. We're, we're, in, you know, we're playing at the schoolyards with a number of different neighbors 
But when we get to be grownups and we and we own the homes and we're we're driving, we barely wave at each other. We barely acknowledge one another in our neighborhoods. And and I think where did we lose that? You know, because it could be the same person that um, you grew up with that you just barely acknowledge on an everyday basis. We get caught up in the fluff of the world that is distracting us from the the most important things, and that's one another. Uh, one of the things that I keep in my mind to keep me driving is that, you know, I don't want to be on my deathbed saying, I wish I would have, should have, could have. And so many times people find themselves at the end of their life and then they start to reflect on the things that they should have done, the things that they wish they had done. We only have so much time in each and every day, each and every one of us. How we spend that time is critical. That's our most valuable asset. And we have to find a way to use that time in a positive manner and in a way that's not wasting the blessings that we have as individuals throughout the day and throughout our lives to be able to make this world a better place for all of us, not just me, myself, and I, but each and every one of us. If I can comment on that, I love your Pollyanna-esque approach. We need more of that. (laughs) It's hard because it gets so it can be so frustrating and overwhelming um, given the current environment uh, to, to maintain that kind of optimism, but we need people with that optimism uh, to help, you know, push aside the the darkness of, of, of the challenges that we're facing. If we have any hope of getting out of this. Um, and, and I want to pick your brain about that uh, given the divisiveness, um, the polarization that we see, in the state of Utah, like we see many other in many other parts of the country and really many parts of the world, uh, it's it's a real big problem, not unique to us. How do we start to ward off that divisiveness? How do you know it, when things are so polarized and you know politicized things that five ten years ago I would have never thought would be a political lightning rod that now I feel like it is, and it's like hard to even have conversations. Uh, how do we go about bridging the divide and, and getting past that divisiveness? I, I, I'm i a true believer that the number one thing we need to do is alleviate the fear of one another. And we just, for some reason, seem to be afraid of each other. And we don't, we won't take the chance to overcome that fear by engagement. One of the things that I truly, really work on, and, and sometimes people think I'm weird by doing this, but I invite people to coffee or lunch or, or soda to sit down and have a conversation, even those I don't agree with. Because one of the things I found, and I believe is really true, is if you break bread with somebody, it's really difficult to find hate anywhere in your heart to that towards that person. If we can multiply that through engagement, and have these create some positive environments. I think we can see more shifts take place, but because of fear, we're not willing to do that. We're not willing to step into that space because once we experience something positive with an individual or a group, and it's it's different than our our where we were before we had that experience, we now become accountable. And accountability is a scary thing for most people, you know, because you can play like you're not accountable to those around you and the spaces in which you exist, but you cannot fake your accountability to yourself. 
You cannot fool yourself into thinking you haven't changed to one of those experiences. And that becomes a burden on people to say, okay, I'm, I'm making some, some decisions that really aren't conducive to the way I've just learned about this group or this individual or this situation or this environment. And that accountability is very difficult for people to step into. If we can find the courage to step into these spaces where we're uncomfortable and we become accountable to the things that we're learning, I think we can start to see change taking place. But that's a scary place to go. And it's hard. It's not easy to find to, to look inside ourselves and to say, I'm willing to change and to be resilient against the noise that's coming in mm. to keep us from making those change changes. We have to have that interpersonal strength. And to build that is hard in the way, especially the way our society is developed now with social media and everything else. We are not put into a position where we have to be accountable for everything we do or say. I look at our current situation in our state school board. We are a state that is putting in uh, putting in policies against cyberbullying, against bullying in our schools, but yet we let a political figure, a figure that creates policy within our institutions of education to be a bully, a cyber bully, and we are not letting making that person accountable. That type of thing can where it would become a burden on many, but it also becomes a weapon for others. And we have to get out of this in our society, weaponizing these symbolic opportunities to, to be able to subjugate groups of people or, or individuals. And until we have the courage to step up and be accountable, we're gonna to continue to see these things happening. But um, you, me, Angela, none of us, we, we can't change an individual. Individuals have to change themselves. And that's the hard part about any of the work that we're doing. Yeah. And, and part of, I love the approach of like breaking bread, getting in person, one-to-one, having conversations, real human connection with people uh, can break down a lot of the barriers, <laughs> it's, but that's hard to do you have to have some bravery i think encouraged to do that and be willing to try to do that and then of course the other part is it's, that's hard to do at scale right like you yes. i we can't do that individually like collectively we have to do that and yeah. it's really hard especially in the in you know given the polarization and the demonization of collaboration and bipartisanship and the demonization of like actually reaching across the aisle and trying to work with someone else that to me is one of the most discouraging things about the current situation um, mm -hmm. because people have always disagreed on policy. People have always disagreed and had, you know, firm, like even moral disagreements, uh, well-intentioned, well-meaning, intelligent people have disagreed as, you know, going as far back in time as we can think, but we've been able to work through challenging problems together. And mm -hmm. it seems like we're at a point now where there's just not even a willingness to engage. Um, and if you can't engage, how do you how do you start to have those personal interactions where you can actually stop otherizing each other and like actually seeing each other as as human beings? Like we're in the same boat together. We we want to try to work this out. You know, we've we've eliminated dignity from our conversations. 
And we have determined that when someone doesn't agree with us, they're automatically an enemy. And and they're bad and evil. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know how we get to that point. You know, I, I use a lot of sports analogies. You know, when a lot of times we'll use the BYU-Utah rivalry. You know, people get up in arms about the BYU-Utah rivalry and they're going crazy and, you know, they're saying things about each other. And having played that in that rivalry for four years as a student athlete, I can tell you that the players, we don't feel that way. We don't like each other that they were on the grass together playing. But as soon as that game is over, we hug each other. We we socialize back in the, back when I played, we'd socialize with each other um, during the offseason or when we weren't, you know, when our game wasn't coming up. We I know we have that ability as a society as a whole. But we need to determine that when the game is over, we need to get to the people and to the realities and the, and the individuals. The game is our everything day, everyday things we do. The school is can be the game. The work can be the game. You know, our political um, legislative periods can be the game. But when we get outside of that, we need to realize that we're all people and that we all are in this. We're on the same team. We're just surviving. We're all just surviving. We don't have tomorrow promised. So why are we going to be negative and doing the things that aren't conducive to making tomorrow better? I don't know. I've been trying to figure that one out for a long time. But we have to be able to hit the battle royales, disagree, but do it with dignity. Do it with with respect for each other. Do it with an understanding that, you know, we're not we're not trying to you know, we're not trying to destroy another person by talking about our views and the way that we see things, but we just want to be able to share the way that our values are are structured. And, you know, in anything I do, I'm, I'm not trying to change people's values, but I'm just trying to get people to understand that if we do decide that we can break bread together, we can come together, there's so much more strength in that than dividing and pulling, you know, a rubber band, you pull a rubber band apart, it thins out where the tension is. But if you let that rubber band come back to its original form, it works in so many great ways and it's stronger. And we have to get to that point as a society to where we're strengthening our society through all the work that all of us are doing without trying to create divisive things. For me, and to be honest, and a lot of times I get in trouble for being honest, so sometimes I'll do that. Um, you know, we have to get rid of the semblances of ego and power. You know, in reality, none of us have any power. I mean, we can't choose how long we live. We can't choose, you know, if we're if we're going to get bumped or bruised, you know, riding our mountain bike down the mountain or if we're going to have a clean run. We, we only have so many choices in our lives that we know we can control. And that I think that that's another area that fear has developed is losing that control of those those small areas and and then thinking, oh, well, I'm going to magnify that into other spaces in my life so that I can have a greater semblance of, of control. But once we realize that we don't have control, it brings us into a scary place to where we have to, again, delve inside ourselves and say, how can I move beyond me? 
and start looking at others to create this safety and security that I'm looking for and to be a part of that safety and security. Hopefully that wasn't confusing, but, um, you know, we, it's, it's really difficult for me to actually sit back and watch things occur um, without having to you know, at least throw in a little something positive, even if it's a, a blazing fire, just to get people to slow down a little bit and really think about their position and where they're coming from and have considerations that they may not have had before, but authentic understanding of those considerations, not just saying that they understand or saying that, you know, hey, I get it, but being authentic and taking a step back and looking at where they are and deciding that I think this is a place for change for me and understanding why that has to occur and not getting caught up in any vitriol that is negative or divisive. I don't, I've never been able to understand that mindset. And I grew up with people like that and I still, you know, engage with people like that, but I never understood where that came from other than there has to be something in their life that is creating this semblance of misunderstanding within themselves of where their place is and how they can actually come out of that mode and become a better, more engaged individual and not be fearful of having some interpersonal harm happening to them. Yeah, I just thinking about this, I, you know, I lived in a foreign country with my family and was being introduced to someone that I had been warned ahead of time, did not like us because of where we were from and they'd never met us. I don't know if they've, they had ever met anyone from our country, but there was some fear involved in that. I think on both sides of, and it was amazing. We broke bread together, literally. And what happened was this Pollyanna outcome that you talk, you know, this, this ideal that we talk about that really happened where we became like family almost overnight, because when we got to know each other, those other details fell away as we heard each other's stories. And I think it takes a lot of bravery in the work that you do. And I think for anyone who's willing, I think when we share our stories and people get to know who we are, where we come from, what matters, it changes things. And I've, I've literally seen this recently where people have been brave, spoken about their experiences and changed people's minds in ways that will now impact many, many people. And I'm- How do we get people to have that bravery? How do we get people to be courageous? That's the question. Mm-hmm. I, I, I Tell us, Sean. <laughs> <That's the question. laughs> one of my one of my one of my theories, and I'm not I'm just you know I'm a sociologist. So one of my theories is that when these new ideologies or new mindsets are um, are presented to people, that it creates a state of confusion um, because some things are learned through our families and everything. And now you're questioning these things. You're questioning, you know, the, the patriarch in your family or the matriarch in your family. And and that creates some angst. You know, wait a minute. My grandfather told me this is the way, you know, that Black people were and that you can't trust him. And then all of a sudden, this guy, Sean's coming. He's sitting at my dinner table and I like you. Where, what, what's wrong here? What? How do I deal with this? You know. Can I ever take him to my family's house for dinner? You know, is uh, these types of things are going through people's minds when they're in these 
semblances of engagement. And again, it just comes down to that simple thing where you have to be brave and courageous and say, here's what I've learned, you know, and then you hope that they become the messenger for their family and their children to be able to start to convey this understanding that we have to widen our lens. But it goes back to that 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 willingness to do the to do the scary thing, yeah. to 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 go have coffee or, or break bread or or do something with somebody you never ever would think you would do it with. I never thought I'd be able to go to lunch with some of our governors on a one-on-one. And during that time when I'm having those lunches, I tell them, I said, you know, as a kid growing up, this is this is totally foreign to me. <laughs> and they kind of chuckle and laugh. And I say, no, think about it. And they take they've taken that pause and gone, yeah, wow, I, I guess I could see where that in your life, that experience may not have ever happened. And I said, I don't take these things for granted. I don't take these opportunities for granted. And I said, I hope, you know, I said to each and every one of them, I hope you don't take this for granted, you know, getting a chance to get to know someone that you would have never, ever taken the time to get to know. And I do this on a, on a, on a regular basis. I'm a weird engagement person where people that I know on LinkedIn and people I know on Facebook, I've never met before. I've met them for lunch or coffee or a drink. And we've just opened up huge new horizons for each and every one of us. And I'm continuing that practice. I, I continue that practice to this day. But I don't see that type of courage, you know, actually all across the board for everyone. I mean, and anybody that's listening to this, I would, I would implore you to do that. Just somebody you would never, ever ask or that you're afraid to ask to engage with. Do so. You'd be astonished. You're president at UVU. Um, I had a friend that was interested in, you know, looking at administration, um, higher ed administration. I called her up and the three of us had lunch. You know, you just you just do things like that and you're amazed at the way that people are willing to engage. Sometimes we think that people are that are we hold up on a pedestal um, are untouchable. They want engagement a lot of times. And even then, they don't know how to do it. So yeah. if you step up and you're that individual, you can create those bits of change. One of the, the one of the things I do stand by is that we are each each and every one of us, we are each a leader. It's just how we choose to lead. It's what situations we choose to lead in. And then also taking that leadership and moving forward with pride in the leadership that you have, because you never know who's watching you. You never know who's paying attention to the work you do. You never know how that's going to pay off for you sometime along in your life. I never thought I'd be in the places I'm in now. And never, ever as a kid would have thought they would have given me a chance to serve as a trustee or a board member. Um, and I still, to this day, have to sometimes pinch myself to say, wow, you know, how did, how did I get here? But then I look back at the engagement that I had with people and, and working with people and being upfront with people from the moment I meet them. And then having that authentic care for, you know, my brothers and sisters. Sean, I love this. I think I would love to continue this conversation for hours, but I also note the time and I know that we need to let you go and get on with your busy day. Um, so I think we're going to have to wrap it up, but I hope we can continue this conversation again in the future because there's so much more to explore. 
Uh, as we do wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, uh, how they can reach out, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Oh, great. Well, great. It's easy. Connect, you connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm trying to get to the point where LinkedIn says enough is enough. So uh, <laughs> connect with me on LinkedIn. And, um, you know, on this subject, I, I just want to have people understand that, you know, it's it's uncomfortable, sometimes scary, and they may take a little bit of work, but please work to engage those that you may never, ever have thought that you had anything in common with, but you may have some semblance of curiosity about. You really will be amazed at how people can come together, even when you disagree, even when you don't care for that person, perceive that you don't care for that person, step up and, and work to engage um, and make it a continuous part of your 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 life and, and do that little bit of work. And it, the rewards are phenomenal when you when you work towards just being a good human and taking the time to have conversations like these and, and being open. And then just conversations about your families, conversations about the things you like to do. We have so many things in common as human beings. I mean, not every single item is in common, but we can always find commonalities when we're in conversation and that helps bring us together. Yeah, well said. Sean, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you, Angela. I hope everyone will reach out, connect with Sean on LinkedIn, reach out, have that lunch, that drink, uh, get to know him. And as always, I hope everyone will stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.